Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Amen. All right, 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. We're just hanging out there for the last few weeks. Last week, I figured we needed a change, so I let Heidi preach. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> And we're dealing with uh, spiritual maturity. I have some quotes here on maturity that are, that are pretty good. Maturity is such a big deal. It's such a need in our, in our lives. And a lot of times uh, we don't realize how much we need it, but we really do need it a lot. So we must ask, we talked about this before. First John chapter two, or, yeah, chapter 2, verse number 13 we talked about this before, but I want to make this. I want to share this statement again. We must ask ourselves: Do we want the pain of discipline or the pain of disobedience? Because both have a pain. I was thinking about it the other day, and thinking about that statement and some of the analogy that the Lord has given me concerning, like sports or weight training, different things like that. Do you know there are actually people that do things to their body that they haven't trained for? And so they end up uh, actually needing uh, surgery to fix the tear. But weight training, you know what weight training is. Weight training is tearing muscle in smaller increments, right? So you don't, if you if you lifting weights correctly or training physically correctly, you don't need to go to the doctor every time after you lift weights, after you go to the gym. Your body has the capability of doing what? Healing itself, right? Those tears are controlled tears. Um, they're smaller tears, and they take longer to build up. It takes longer. Uh, it takes more of a more time to build up the muscle, but it's a slow process that you don't see happen rapidly, right? Whereas, whereas if you're in disobedience and you do something outside of what the Lord would have you to do, sometimes you can add, end up with a catastrophic tear. In other words, uh, uh, how many have ever seen somebody, I, I always think of, I went to a wrestling uh, tournament one time when I was a kid because uh, my neighbors were wrestlers and it was down at the Metra and I watched a kid wrestling and he got his arm caught and you heard the pop. Yeah, yeah, it was something to watch. And then of course all the AMTs were right on it, you know what I mean? And he broke his arm. Well, you're not supposed to do that. That's, that's not how that's supposed to work. You know what I mean? So typically, athletes, if they're doing it right, they're training outside of the meat so that those injuries don't happen, right? Now, I know there are mistakes and stuff like that, so I'm not talking about accidents necessarily. I'm talking about foolish things where you might yield to the flesh rather than to the spirit, and you end up hurting yourself in a way that causes the need for surgical help in the spirit rather than just healthy, disciplined pain that causes growth incrementally. Do you know you actually, even though we, and we quote this verse, and I do agree with it, that God actually can recover us faster than we would normally be able to do it. In other words, there's a supernatural spiritual development that can take place in our lives. But as believers, if we have stayed in a place of infancy or youngness in the Lord, even though we got saved maybe 20 years ago, there's still a process you have to go through in order to mature. 
How many of you know that God doesn't go, oh, all of a sudden they're committed to me. Oh, blink, go ahead. You can just be mature now. Now, I, you know, naturally, in your mind, you think, oh, that would be kind of nice. But God doesn't do it that way. He actually will take you back to where you missed it at times and go, let's start right here. I'm not talking about a physical location necessarily, okay? I'm not saying that. You know, sometimes people say, well, I've been through a lot in my life. I have to go all the way back to... No, he's going to take you back to the point where you missed it in, or you stopped in your spiritual development. He's going to say, okay, we're going to pick up right here. Well, Lord, I want to learn about this subject. And he's going, no, 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 right here. And then if you don't slow down and listen and follow the steps, you, you just continue to hinder your growth. Right. Even though God doesn't want it to be that way. God is a process God. I'll put it to you like this. We almost have instantaneous everything today. Right? You can order from Amazon and have it, well, it used to be next day. Like, I don't want to wait. You can't wait three or four days. You, I got to have it next day. When in all reality, so then we approach God with this. Well, I want it drive through Lord. Have you ever sat in the drive through a little longer than you thought you should? You know, God is not microwave. He is not. He'll go, we'll start right here. We do this. Ready? Lord, I really need help in this area. Man, I got pain in this area. I got, I got, uh, there's just dysfunction in this area and you're kneeling, you're praying. You're, God, I need this to be fixed in my life. And he says, okay. And then he starts to give you a way of walking in faith and walking, eventually walking in freedom in that area. And what we want is a miracle and what he's interested in is a process. Any natural, any growth in the natural that happens too fast produces unhealthy results. But in the spirit, many times people want that to be how it goes. No, Lord, just just hit me, zap me, and I'm going to be mature one day. I've heard people say this, and I, and I know why they're saying it, and it is true to a degree, but, and I've said it. People say, well, I didn't receive a baby Jesus when I got born again. You're right, but you're still a baby. You still have a baby head. Amen. Good preaching. What do you mean by that? Listen, I can apply it to me. I can only function in levels of greater maturity in Christ to the, to the degree that I have knowledge of it. And then it can only manifest to the degree to the degree that I act upon that truth. So as long as I reserve or, or, or say, I'll grow up when Heidi learns how to be the wife that she's supposed to be. Danger, Will Robinson. Actually, I'm called to walk in love and grow up no matter what anybody. If they stone me to death, I am called to look and say, Lord, lay not this sin, right, against.
against their charge. Well, it's unfair. Man, what household did you grow up in? <laughs> it, yes, it is. But that is no excuse for spiritual immaturity. When we begin to identify or bring into, uh, absorb into our talk, our walk, the way we live, a mentality that the world has, we then automatically excuse or actually disrespect what Jesus accomplished and placed in us. Well, you know, you, we, we, and we, we come up with reasons why this is. And the reasons, every, every reasoning that we have naturally has to be run through the filter of the written word. Well, I just, you know, people say, well, I prayed and I just feel like this is the direction I'm supposed to go. And I've had people tell me this or this is the answer. I've had people say these things to me through the years and it totally contradicts, contradicts what the written word says. You didn't hear from the Holy Spirit. You heard from a demon spirit. Or you heard from the nature of your flesh. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but the flesh loves to work situations and things around to its benefit. Am I the only one that's ever experienced that? Well, it's not right the way they did me, so I'm just going to, you know, give them the cold shoulder. The cold shoulder. That's in First Corinthians. Nope, it's not there. Anytime we're looking to maintain a way of life that is counter to what Christ has purchased for us, we're walking outside of spirituality and incarnality. Right? Fair, unfair, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Anytime I go, okay, anytime I have something, okay, the Lord tells me, Sean, I want you to do this. And I've had to fight through this in my own life through the years. The Lord, when he tells me that, he expects me to believe that word. There's grace now available to, to function there because he, he gave me that word then any excuse I come up with on why I can't is now what? Unbelief. Well, I just can't control myself. My dad couldn't and nope. Excuses. Excuses. Because I'm empowered by him to live right, correct? And so what we see here, even in uh, 1 John 2, verse 13, we see that Paul's dealing with different levels of maturity, okay? Uh, Martin Luther said this, if you young fellows were wise, the devil couldn't do anything to you. But since you aren't wise, you need us who are old. <laughs> That's good preaching in that day, I mean, you know. Uh, Tony Cook said this about mature believers. He said, mature people tend to be more compassionate and less judgmental because they've been through more challenges in life. <laughs> right? 
But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13, and we talked about this last uh, two weeks ago, but we talked about, and we spent two weeks on it prior to that, but we talked about fathers and what fathers were, and really the essence there is it's an elder or someone who's older. And we saw that older men uh, were to teach younger men, younger men or uh, boys how to be men, and then older women were to teach the younger women. Amen? And teach them how to be women of God. And we saw this, I think we were in Titus chapter 2 is where we were looking and we read about that. But there's another class of spiritual maturity here that I want to look at. And it's in the second part of verse, uh, well, I guess the first half of verse 13. But it says this in verse 13, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you what? Young men. I write to you young men. Because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you young men. So this is another class of spiritual maturity. So you might call this spiritual adolescence. Young men. Now this men could be women. You understand what I mean by that? It's mankind. So if you're younger, this is a teenage. And you can't, now you can't think uh, cracking voices and zits. Okay. You have to think spiritually here, not naturally, all right? So don't think about going through puberty, okay? you got to think spiritually. This is a young man. This is not a mature person. A mature person, and we talked about what that is, but a young man is somebody, and, and you see the statement here, who understands that they have authority over the enemy. I have written to you, John says, by the Holy Spirit, because you have what? Overcome the wicked one. Now, young men means this in the Greek. It means the second branch of the spiritual family. So not the top branch. You were in the middle, right? The second branch is what it means. So young believers in the Lord love spiritual warfare. How many teenagers love to compete? <laughs> right? Yeah. Most of it, you know, especially young boys, young men, they want to lock horns. You know what I mean? I got some horns. I got horns. Yep, those are some horns. And all the old dads, the, the elders are going, you got some spikes. <laughs> you know, that's good. You know, encouraging them to keep growing, right? Okay? But young believers, and we see this, they love what? Spiritual, they, they love spiritual warfare. They understand and practice spiritual warfare. You ever notice, young people in the Lord, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over everything. Everything's a devil. Everything has a, you know what I mean? There's a devil behind every bush. You know? They, they, you know, they're rebuking the devil over, you know, ice on their windshield. <laughs> when they should have just started their car a little earlier. Well, the devil's just trying to give me a car accident in the name of Jesus. No, you just didn't get up early enough. That's, I've been there. I understand, but no, that's, that's not it. They know how to beat the devil, the devil just like the disciples did when they went out two by two. Luke chapter 10, let's go there. Luke chapter 10, verse number 17. I want you to see this, and I'm going to say this, and then we'll read it, and you'll see it. 
But it says when, when they came back to Jesus, the disciples, after they had gone out two by two and exercised the name of Jesus over the enemy, Jesus told them to rejoice in their salvation rather than in their authority. What are they excited about? Ooh, we got, we, we were laying hands on people, they got healed. We cast out devils, and Jesus said, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning, but rejoice in your salvation. Amen? Luke chapter 10, verse 17 says, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And how many know they are? And he said to them, Yes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority. To trample, oh, I could teach on this. This is such a good, good passage, but I won't right now. <clears throat> um, but he says this, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I love it. In the name of Jesus, devil, come on. You know, you should practice this during the day. It is written, devil. Yeah. You're tempted to, to get uh, offended at somebody. It is written. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. How did Jesus beat Satan? It is written. You have a, a physical challenge in your body. It is written, devil. Come on. Financial. It is written. Right? You, you're struggling with a, a, a peace of mind or heart. It is written. And you begin to speak from that place of authority. It says this in verse 20. Jesus says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Spiritually mature people know where to rejoice, but they also know how to use the name. Spiritually young people love spiritual warfare, but they may think, well, yeah, I'm saved. Of course I'm going to save him. I'll go to heaven when I die. But Jesus puts an emphasis on salvation above spiritual authority. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so young people understand their spiritual authority. All right, next in verse 13, we have little children. But in the Greek, a more accurate of this word would be infants. That's actually what it means in the Greek. So, this, so the last part of verse 13 says, I write to you little children or infants because you have known the Father. Infants. This word means an infant. It means a half-born boy or girl. It carries the idea of an immature Christian. It is used of an infant just born, like a baby Christian. These are the youngest believers in the family of God. They are believers who are dis deficient in spiritual understanding. Okay? Now, again, they didn't receive a small Jesus. Like, it's not like you're running around, you've been saved for 20 years, and you know a thing or two about the Lord, and you're running around with a more muscular Jesus. That's not the issue. The issue, again, is what? Understanding. The more you know, the more you can act on what you know. The more you act on what you know, the more manifestation of what you know will be in your natural life. Amen? 
So infants are the ones who begin to understand the father. Infants love to be around the father. Come on. I want to have a soaking service. I just want to soak with the father. I want to crawl up in the father's lap and just sit in the father's lap. What do little kids do? Do you ever notice that a lot of times the older the kids get, they don't just want to just sit? I mean, it would be a little odd, right? But when you're first born again, it's not that, it's not that your relationship with the father, that, that love relationship goes away. It's just there's greater understanding concerning what it is. Amen? You know, I've had people get offended at me. They think, when you talk like this, they sit there and they think, well, I go sit in God's lap anytime I want to. I know you little baby. I get it. <laughs> they, don't, they don't, I can still, I can still feel it. <laughs> they think I'm trying to take it away. Nobody's taking it away. Well, you don't know, you know, what my life was like growing up. And they say, well, I didn't have a father and all these things. Well, you have one now. But having a father and intimacy with him like this is not a reason to stay spiritually immature. In other words, if you were really soaking with the father, you, wouldn't, he, you would hear him not allow you to hang on to the things that are immature. He'll cause you to go, walk, I'm going to set you down and you're going to move your legs. Some people do this. They go, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sit here. And you're sitting there, but he's not going to pick you up. You need to get up and what? Start walking. Why? Because a good father knows that he needs to train the children to be able to function in the full DNA of what they've been born into. Amen? So as we grow in, in, in Christ through knowledge and obedience to the word of God, we should need less and less attention from the elders or the spiritually mature believers in the body of Christ. It's true. Just like naturally when a child grows and develops, they need less done for them. They carry more and more of their own responsibilities. The same is true concerning spiritual growth. The same is true concerning spiritual growth. In other words, you don't need to call up the prayer chain to deal with the demon that's coming against you. You just step forward and go, I learned about my authority in the name of Jesus. And you take care of it yourself. Because you have the Lord with you. You realize it. Now, if you're in a place where you need help, then you get help. But there are those that maintain, they don't want to take steps to mature. They want to have weightlifters muscles without going to the gym. They like the idea of swimming in your pool, but they don't want the maintenance and they don't want to have to put it in. Spiritually mature people go, I'll take care of the maintenance. I'll put the pool in. I'll have everything ready to go for you. And I'll clean it up when we're done. That is maturity. And usually the benefit for the person who hosts is a lot of work. 
but they don't mind. Why? Mature. Right? Can handle it, right? All right, verse 14. Ooh, we got to verse 14. We're having breakthrough now. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. So here he addresses the two spiritual, the higher end of the spiritual maturity, the, the fathers and the young men, or the elders and the teenagers, I guess you could say. Uh, one commentary about this verse says this, here the apostle repeats what he had said to the fathers. He simply reminds them that they know him. Then he turns to the young men again and addresses them in a little more detail, almost as a reminder to not forget where their strength comes from. These young believers had received their strength from the word of God dwelling permanently in them. They had overcome Satan because of this strength. A believer's relationship to the scriptures invariably determines the quality of their Christian experience. The Bible is called the sword of the spirit. Those who have hidden God's word in their hearts have the resources necessary to live an overcoming life and to defeat Satan. When he was tempted, Jesus himself quoted what? He used scriptures to defeat the devil, correct? All right, so that's a reminder then. Okay, now verses 15 through 17, if you're taking notes, this actually begins a new section in this chapter, and you could call it, do not love the world, or, and you could put a slash or something, and then put, we are world overcomers. Verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And this has to do with the world system. That word, word does, the world there, has to do with the world system or how the world operates. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, listen to uh, some other translations. Stop considering the world precious with the result that you love it. Whoever loves the world has not the Father's love in his heart. Uh, another translation says this. I actually, uh, let me see if I can find the one. Oh, yeah, right here. The Passion Translation says this, and I think this is a better uh, kind of explanation of this. Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of the world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. I think that gives it a better understanding of what's being said. Don't set the affections of your heart on, the, on this world. Or in loving the things of the world. And you're going to have to fight at this. The world pulls at you. It pulls at you. Things in the world will talk to you. You, you don't want to do that. Why don't you want to do that? Because the love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. So here we have instruction after sharing on levels of spiritual development. John now turns to the importance of keeping first things first. If we are going to live in victory, live as world overcomers, then we must steer clear of love of the world. Walking as Jesus walked is walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Christians must guard against centering their affections on the world, its ways and desires. 
Only God is worthy of our highest devotion. The world that is referred to here is the systems in the world that are in competition with God. How many realize there's a ruler in this world and it isn't God right now? Right? Who is called the prince of this world? Satan is, right? And so he has a system being operated. How many can watch the news, look how things are going, and see that Satan is in operation? I mean, if you can't see that, then you're either not trying hard or you need to read more of your Bible. All right. Remember, the world was created for Adam and Eve, God's people. But they legally, not morally, they didn't have the moral right to do it, but they had the legal right to do it, turned over their authority of it to Satan. So the creation itself actually is not evil. Be careful about demonizing natural things. Realize that, so like people will do this, nobody should have any money because money is evil. I mean, I've never met a person that believes that, that actually practices that, ever. They work a job to earn money. The evil is getting into their bank account. Money is just a tool. It has no morality at all. None. What gives money morality? Whoever has it in their hand. Just like somebody could spend money to do, uh, uh, you know, buy something illegal or commit, uh, you know, buy a gun and commit a crime or something like that, somebody could buy a gun and prevent a crime. Does that make sense? Whoever's hand it's in, they determine the morality of it. Right? So don't get caught up in natural things. So the creation itself is not evil. It is affected by evil. Things die, waste away. But John is not calling natural things in and of themselves evil. John is dealing with the spirit of Antichrist that is in the earth. And we're going to get into that. All things natural in the hands of a person produce good or evil depending on the heart of the person. Believers are to love neither the world nor the things in it. Such love is wrong because God tells us to choose to focus our love on him. Simply put, Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God simply wants to be first place. So loving anything above the Lord is a form of spiritual idolatry. Just like any natural relationship, our affections can become cold if we do not set ourselves to keep them hot. Take time with this verse before the Lord and allow him to speak to you concerning your fellowship with him. So then, after verse 15, he talks about, he begins to talk about or categorize what is in the world that causes problems. And we'll just break into this and then we'll end here. Verse 16 says, for all that is in the world. So don't love the world. And now he's going to put definition to what's in the world. What's in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these things are what? Not of the Father, but are of the world. Now, I want to make a statement to you without reading all my notes. Okay? Um, because I want you to see this. In conjunction with, so when we move into this next week, you'll have this in your mind. So, 
Verse 15 and 16 tell me that Satan's world system is geared toward the enticing and the progress of the nature of the flesh. Everything that is under the influence of the demonic begins with the enticing of the nature of the flesh first. In other words, people don't just wake up one day demon-possessed. They yielded to the flesh first. And usually for what? An extended period of time, they got into things that are carnal and fleshly. And what happens when you yield to that enticing? It begins to what? Open a door in the spirit for a manifestation of the demonic. Every time. This is why the enemy pushes carnal things so much. Perversions. Sexual perversions. This is why he does. He knows, he understands how the spiritual to the natural world works. Oh, I could get into so many things right now. I don't, I'm not going to. But I will just say this. You better be careful about every kind of secular music you listen to. Now, I'm not saying, oh, a demon's going to jump out of the radio and grab your face and rip it off. I'm not saying any of that. But you have to watch it. Listen to the words. I've had so many people, especially when I was a youth pastor, teenagers, well, I just like the beat. I just like the beat. I just like the beat. Well, then get it without the lyrics. If you ever look into the lyrics of what teenagers are listening to, and maybe yours, check it out sometime. I dare you. If you're a parent, you have to look at the lyrics or what is being said. Now, it's possible in here, it's possible, you know, it's just, there's so much good Christian music. I mean, there's just tons of it. You know, I'm to the point where I even select some Christian music out. Nope, that don't work. But, but I'm telling you, listen to what's being said. People, people are listening. They don't even realize what they're listening to. Well, don't you know that Lady Gaga is the most popular? Have you ever done any research on Lady Gaga? Or Katy Perry? Have you ever seen them do this? Have you ever seen them do this? Hello. It's demon worship. The all-seeing eye. <laughs> Guys, sometimes people think, oh, you must be paranoid. No, I'm aware. I walk in the light. There are things, and, and, the, and the world will lie to you. They'll say, oh, it's just entertainment. They're worshiping. There are whole sections of things, and I, I, don't, I hesitate to say them because sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to go check it out, and then they don't know how to handle what they found out. You know what I mean? But there are so many things, and it's not all natural things, but some of these artists, a lot of them that are influencing the younger generation, they absolutely worship Lucifer. There's a particular rapper that came out with his Satan shoe by Nike. Now, it went, it went under. Even had a scripture on the, from the Bible in there. 
And it was about Satan falling from heaven like lightning. And it was literally, it came, it was a satanic shoe. I mean, that's what it promoted as. This is the, this is the current state we're in. Just wait until it heightens a little bit more. Think about the demonic activity in Paul's day. And I'm going to leave you with all these teasers because you just have to come back. Um, think about the demonic influence in Paul's day. He had a demon-possessed lady following him around in town saying, these men are preachers of the Most High God. This is a demon saying this. I will say this, most of Hollywood, most, not all, most of Hollywood and the entertainment industry on the music side, when they talk about Christ, they're talking about Satan. They're not talking about Jesus. <laughs> I can see some, some looks on people's face like, is this guy for real? You know, I thought he was solid biblically, you know? But I'm telling you, cults, new age, coexist. It's of the source of demons. There is no coexist. The Bible says when Jesus returns, his idea of coexisting is the blood will be as deep as the bridles on the horses. This is the opportunity for people to make a change to submit to his lordship. That's what it is. And so most of what you see, they open their meetings with half scriptures. Come on, come on, come on. Think with me, please. Think with me. What did the devil quote to Jesus? Scripture. And people will come in, especially younger. You say, why are we getting into this? Because we're going to get into the Antichrist spirit. And those that are immature in the Lord are the most susceptible to being deceived. Well, it sounds right. And I do not live, I do not, you know, cast the devil out of street signs. I do not, uh, you know, drive by a, a billboard that has something bad on it and go, in the name of Jesus, I command that billboard to burn down. I don't do any of that stuff, okay? I don't need to do any of that. I carry the light. Those, de those demon, the de demonic activity ain't coming to my house. They don't like my house. And the feeling's mutual. But we have authority in the name of Jesus. See, living a holy lifestyle is not about earning salvation. It's about what are you going to allow to operate through you as a vessel. Jesus purchased my salvation. So why would I live in pig slop? Why would I give any portion of my member, me, right, my thinking or my physical being to demonic things and, and assist in the spreading of the spirit of Antichrist? Holiness is not long hair and long dresses 
and no makeup. Right? It's not. It's not you have to wear a suit and a tie. I, I saw one guy, I don't even know where this came from, but this was a while back. I saw some guy preaching or heard, heard his message, and he was talking about beards on men in church and how they needed to be shaved off because it was more holy. It was getting back to the gospel. What? Did Jesus have a beard? Hello? How, where did he come up with that? I'm not talking about any of that weird stuff. I'm talking about biblical holiness to where you're so consecrated to the Lord that you are a vessel overflowing with his presence so that when you do, and you will, come in contact with the demonic, it goes, mm, it bows. You ever seen that happen? You ever cast the devil out before? Most people probably not. I tell you, the devil can put on a show. But he has no power over, the, over, over Christ. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And knowledge of truth and then walking in that truth is what makes us a force that drives the enemy to where he flees. We submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he what? So whenever the enemy comes against us, you, or against you, you can say, oh, no, devil, it's my job to submit. It's your job to run. So run, fool. Right? In the name of Jesus... Run. You have no right here. Yeah. Because we carry that authority. Amen? So all of you prayers out there, and those of you that are praying for your kids and for your families and all that stuff, when you're praying, you never think it's not working. Because it is always working. Because you have authority. It is their tough situation that they were born within the sphere of your authority in Christ Jesus. And the demons, see ya. Definitely don't want to be ya. Right? So, Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, we will continue to grow, learn, and walk in your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.